Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. An ongoing conversation with ministry leaders about embracing complexity and uncertainty with joy and faithfulness. Hi, this is Mark Ramsey of the Ministry Collaborative, and today I'm talking with my good friend and colleague, Lee Henson Hasty. Hey, Lee, how you doing? Hey, Mark. So good to hear your voice always. It lifts my spirits. Good. <laughs> I'm not going to try to describe what your title is and what you do, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what your current ministry is. Thank you. It's really investing in the future of the church, but the way I'm doing that is supporting future ministers. They call me the Senior Director of Theological Education Funds Development at the Presbyterian Foundation, and that's a partnership with the Presbyterian Church's Committee on Theological Education. Is all that on your business card? <laughs> I know, exactly. I mean, what I usually say is, just call me Lee, right? <laughs> <laughs> Lee, as you probably know, we have 23 denominations and non-denoms, but we talk specifically with people because everyone's got their own right. specific calling. Context. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lee, as I've known you and we've talked over the years, I think you're one of the people who is in a good position to kind of look at the whole landscape Mm. and kind of draw some learnings about what you're seeing. And so let me just ask, where are you seeing vibrancy and life in the church right now? Love that question. I think it is the right question. A lot of folks want to talk about where there are challenges and where there are things not going right. I see it from small church to large church to nonprofits to new churches and faith communities. I see it in theological schools. I see it not in all of them, but in the places where they're asking the right question. And it's interesting, you talk about context, they are asking questions about their particular context. They're taking notice of what is happening around them. I think it's the Latina theological scholar, I think Maria Sassi-Diaz, who really kind of made that primary. I think it's a helpful way to look at the world. And where they are paying attention is you can see vibrancy and impact. It's inside their communities, Mm -hmm. Mark, Mm -hmm. but it is more so outside of their communities. It's when they're paying off medical debt, for example, in the community and not asking for people's name and not asking for credit. It's where they are feeding people where they are helping people find jobs, where there is connections with especially marginalized communities and marginalized schools. Mm -hmm. I see a lot that are dealing with public schools where there's difficulty. So it's not just the fellowship dinner (laughs) and the mission trip (laughs) and the summer conference and camp. Those are nice too and important, but that's more internal sort of activities. I appreciate everything you said there, and especially you started by saying in small churches and in large churches. Right. I'm assuming this vibrancy knows no boundaries. Is there a common thread or two? I have a bias from where I sit because I'm paying attention especially to theological leaders who have training. I don't think the world has gotten less complex than when we were ordained. (laughs) It is more complex now. The questions and I think it takes people who think critically, think theologically. You know, I have this podcast, Leading Theologically. I think that actually matters. We need economic leaders, political leaders, government leaders, all of those. I'd love for many of those to also be (laughs) theological leaders (laughs) too, by the way. But it's, I think those with healthy, supported, partner-type ministries and ministers, teaching elders, we call them in the Presbyterian Church, pastors, they help communities grow. 
They help them ask better questions. They help them make stronger and more long-lasting partnerships, both locally and globally. And I think they walk alongside them. I love, I remember in seminary learning about the accompaniment movements. I think Witness for Peace was one of the first that I learned about. They accompany others. They're not out there telling people what to do. They're walking alongside them, Mm -hmm. those kind of leaders. That's the thread that I see. I'm thinking of a lot of the faith communities involved in the ministry collaborative of all shapes and sizes Mm -hmm. and types. And that is a thread that works through them. Mm -hmm. You know, early on in the pandemic, I think, Unfortunately, a lot of churches and pastors fell into the trap of trying to out-fabulous each other. Right. I'm hoping that is over now because sustainable, vibrant models I'm seeing everywhere. Everywhere. I'm seeing in a mm-hmm. 20-person house church and in some really you know, multi-thousand right. person churches. What does leading theologically mean to you? I think the Barbara Brown Taylor book, Altars in the World, was very formative to me because it put Christian practices in plain terms. And one of those practices, she talks about sitting on a subway and sort of looking over her sunglasses and noticing some people, each person is happening across the aisle from her. And it's that paying attention. I think that's what theological leaders do. They pay attention to the world, but they also pay attention to what God is up to. Mm -hmm. They're listening through scripture. They're listening through theological conversation. These are not top-down sort of leaders. They're collaborators. That's why I love the Ministry Collaborative, that you're fostering that kind of collaboration. They work in cohorts. They work together. God is a trinity and a community working together. And I think that's really important. But God becomes at the center of who they are. That's the Theo part of this, is at the center of the work they're doing. That's great. While we're on this, let me give you a moment to do a plug for your podcast. So I'd like to know what it is, but I'd also like you to say just a word about what you've learned or what surprised you in recent conversations. Sure, sure. I adapted this Leading Theologically as my podcast and Facebook Live. I wanted to shine lights on other people. I remember doing an early show of Brian Blunt, Mm -hmm. who you know well and appreciate, a renowned theological scholar, a president. He was the president of Union Seminary. He's just stepping down soon after a wonderful tenure there. He's well known. But I got calls back and messages. We never knew about Brian Blunt. And I've been trying to shine lights on other folks that are lesser known, like Pastor Now out at City Church in San Francisco. She was in in Chicago at the time, Emily McGinley. One of our really gifted cohort facilitators. I want to shine a light on those people. I just had Chris Burton on my show. He's at Union Presbyterian Seminary and their leadership initiative. Super interesting person. It's been a real gift because I've learned something. Anna Carter Florence was on the show with one of her new books, a homiletics professor at Columbia. We had Eric Wall from Austin Seminary who talked about sacred music and worship. And that was right in the depths of the lockdown when people are trying to figure out how to do anything worship-wise. So I learn something every single time, honestly, Mark. I think I know what they're working on and what they're doing, but I learned something new. And I, I always always ask a question about vocation and call. And that's what I remember maybe the most is everyone has a different take. I have a show that's coming out, by the way, I'll give you a little preview with the retiring state of clerk of the Presbyterian Church. And he has a really interesting response that nobody in the other 76 shows 
have given to that question about what is making you come alive? What is the work your soul must have? Mm -hmm. People start to speak with even more authenticity. And by the way, let me add that to the list of things that I think theological leaders are all about. They're deeply authentic. Yeah. What surprised you? Because you know, we all, particularly when you, you get rolling, mm. I think, in ministry for a while, we kind of know what we're going to expect. Yes. And then all of a sudden, occasionally, I have a conversation like, wow, that came out of nowhere, and it's so important, and I need to pay attention to it. What's been surprising? I'll tell you something. I had David Lamont. He's a singer-songwriter. Yeah. He's a Presbyterian minister's kid. Sure. He's a peace activist. Yep. He's a nonprofit leader in Guatemala. He lives in Western North Carolina. And... I had him scheduled the week of the Uvalde shooting, and he wrote me back and he said, Lee, we can't ask these questions. We just need to have some space. Mm. I even saying it back to you, I just grabbed my heart. He was noticing what was going on, and he was not moving forward like well. nothing had happened or like it's any old day. And that show touched me with a great depth. There's a, a young woman who is the pastor or campus minister at the University of Tennessee, the Presbyterian Campus Ministry there, Rachel Penmore. And man, she can turn a quote. I mean, and, you know, they have a coffee house there. You know, she's the kind of place I'd want to go and show up. We had a young woman also from Auburn Theological Seminary. She's actually Seventh-day Adventist, mm -hmm. an African-American woman. And I think what surprised me, Mark, is... I thought I had a really well-rounded view of what the children of God look like. Mm -hmm. The rainbow that I had in my mind had only a handful of colors, and now it has an infinite number of colors and continues to grow. Yeah, great. I'm not going to ask you to prognosticate about the future of the church, because I don't believe anybody who tells me they know what the church is going to look like in five years. The, the rate of change is so crazy. But what inklings do you get about what is emerging in God's activity? Mm. I mean, I've always said the church is God's idea. Right. So up or down, the church will continue to be part of us as long as it is God's idea. So where are you seeing inklings of what is happening now? Well, this is partly what I'm paying attention to more than maybe most is, and I think it's part of the call of theological schools is to begin to kind of see around the corner. I think that if the internet and the pandemic and other things have taught us anything in email and 20-second news cycles. We have a global church. We have a global God. We have a God bigger than this globe. And I think that future is much more global. It's where the Association of Theological Schools is leaning in in a lot of places. And, and we know that there's so much potential. There's so many opportunities globally for the church to grow and it is growing, and be supported, and have partners. I think that's something that I'm noticing and paying attention to. And I think that's going to look different than just mission trips. But I don't know exactly what it's going to look. I mean, it's going to be certainly deep and long partnerships. I think those are also local. My, my ministry cohort was talking today about asking, does anybody know about the one-year celebration that Cameroonians have that they do a year after someone dies. And somebody said, well, I could ask some Cameroonians in my church. No, there it is. It's right there in your community, right? Yeah, right. And several things you've said so far, you've talked about partnership and collaboration. 
I think we could both stake out. There's lots of collaborations and partnerships that go into the ditch sooner than later. Mm-hmm. What are some elements of lasting, sustaining, healthy partnerships and collaborations? I love that you asked that. I actually last week pulled up Letty Russell, mm-hmm. who spoke about the church in the round and the future of partnership. I think there is mutual accountability in the midst of partnership, which starts with showing up. Showing up when you're expected and showing up maybe even when you're not expected in the right places. Mm -hmm. I've learned a lot in my pastoral formation cohort. I've learned a lot from that group. And it's being that phone a friend with as many calls as you want. And it's helping you notice things you don't notice in yourself, especially vocationally, Mm -hmm. especially in terms of the state of your spirit. I think it's what John Calvin had in mind when he talked about the company of pastors back in Geneva. It's that sort of thing. But it also is willing to ask you, if you're in good partnership, willing to ask you tough questions that sometimes are personal and political at the same time. You talked about theological education. I know that's something that you work a lot with. And I serve on the board of a seminary. And I think there isn't a pastor out there who isn't avidly concerned and Mm. interested in what is happening and can happen with theological education. Because it's so clear to me that the old models, you know, young person goes to seminary either single or with a spouse and 2.5 kids, of course, and puts their life on hold for three years and then gets out. The economic model of that is shaky at best, as well as a lot of other things. And again, to the multidimensional sense of who is in this, in ministry, in the church. So where do you see the hopeful growing places in theological education right now? I see them happening in different ways in different places. I just visited the farminary at Princeton Seminary, and and that's a really cool thing altogether. And other schools have farms and community farms. But what I love about that is if you're farming in New Jersey, you're doing one thing. If you're in Iowa, it's another. In California, it's another. So I think each school has its own sort of farm that it's working on. And I would say that the Association of Theological Schools New standards of accreditation, a once-in-a-lifetime vote that happened in 2020, I don't think enough people are paying attention to because it went from more of a checklist of standards to a principle-based focus. So it just cracked open the opportunities, and I think we're just starting to see inklings of that and the way there is hybrid and online approaches and weekend approaches to theological education. I mean, we are just at the very beginning, the tip of the iceberg of what this is going to open up. For a lot of people, including me, who aren't really deeply immersed in accreditation, (laughs) what I hear you saying is what they pass is going to allow for greater flexibility and nimbleness? 100%. Principle-based approach. It went from a book that was, you know, I'll just speak metaphorically, six inches thick to like a half an inch thick, you know, in terms of the standards that the schools have to meet to be accredited. And the Association of Theological Schools, the Commission on Accrediting, is part of the Department of Education, so to maintain their accreditation. And for Presbyterians, that really matters because 
you have to have a theological degree from an ATS accredited school. I think that's true for many of the main lines as well. But a lot of our students and a lot of mainline seminaries are educating Pentecostals and evangelical and right. non-denominational too. So I think it really matters. Yeah, Lee, the thing I hear most often from the pastors in our cohorts, and I've got one caveat to this, but what I hear most is, I was not equipped well for the time I'm in, in ministry. Right. My caveat is, I don't expect theological institutions to do all that. Amen. Okay. But... The critique stands. Yep. So where do you see movement toward actually matching up, equipping with what, in their slice of things, what theological right. educators can provide? Well, it's beyond just the theological, the biblical, and I'd say that whole practical and pastoral sort of side of things is expanding. And you have leadership courses and and financial literacy courses that are getting involved. But I'd say, too, this is a complicated job. I mean, you can't just learn everything in three years, and, and the questions change. And the scholarship, you know, has changed. 1970s, 80s, even 90s biblical scholarship is much different right. than 2023. Right. So... I'd say it's also on the responsibility of the pastor to keep learning, mm -hmm. keep reading. I always ask people, it's my favorite question, Mark, is what are you reading? <laughs> it tells a lot. Yeah, it does. Lee, what is a scripture that you're holding close mm. to your own soul right now? Well, Isaiah 54, 10, which talks about hesed, the steadfast loving kindness of God, and that we are all called to lead. And it's something I appreciate about our relationship. It's not just a flash in the pan. It's steadfast, it's loving, and it's kind. And there's expectations in the middle of it, too, for me and for you. And we know that God is with us in it. Oh, thanks so much, my friend. I really appreciate the conversation. Amen. Me, too. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.